We'll do it live. <laughs> hey, we're doing it live. We're doing it live. Welcome to tonight's late night happy hour. Brian Kamenetsky and Andy Kamenetsky joined by our friend Sabrina Merchant. Um, and Sabrina has, she's a repeat guest on the show, which we always appreciate. And she has, which a I think other guest, people. by the way, and a repeat uh chat participant which we always appreciate yes i do love the chat um and she has i think to the uh to the happiness of other people uh removed the angle that had the triggering (laughs) uh cable or cord that was hanging off her wall that our ocd fan base just could not handle uh she has taken uh the brian kamenetsky approach to framing which is put yourself in front of some blinds and go (laughs) Yeah, there's there's only the one room to work with, so there's only so many angles. <laughs> but like, you don't have the excuse. I mean, like, I we've now done Andy. How many shows? Like, we did how many with ESPN? Like eighty or something, something 70? like that. And we're over a hundred uh, as an indie venture, right? You would think I would have figured out like how can I liven up my background? I have not. Um, so, thank you. Anyway, how are you? I'm I'm doing pretty well. Yeah, it was it was funny the last time we had this, and uh, it was that the kid from NYC said that uh, the wires were bugging him. So I uh, I moved my desk around, and I was like, I think I think this can work now. Well, just yeah. just all, so you know, it, it, it wasn't just him; it was triggering kind of everyone. Oh, okay. yeah, and, and so you know, it isn't just about the things you do, Sabrina, mm. in terms of your your decorative style that triggers our particular audience. Our audience is exceptionally easily triggered. Like, I mean, basically our show should come with a trigger warning because (laughs) these freaks will just lose their mind over, you know, I'd say some pretty basic structural or wiring issues. I mean, (laughs) I I would hate to see some of these people around a construction site or something like that. They see (laughs) people up on a scaffold. I I, I think they're really going to lose their minds. Well, you know, I'm I'm happy to help. And if it gets me back on the show, you know, I'm all for it. Yeah, we do what we can. People, you know, people do what they can to get back on the late night happy hour. There's no question (laughs) about it. Uh, Even if that means turning their desk around. Um, So, all right. Speaking of things that are triggering. Ooh. Nice sag. Real pros here. Yep. 114 to 89, the Utah Jazz in the marquee game of the night on in, in the NBA. Um, or at least what was supposed to be, stomp the Lakers. Now, there are a couple different ways we can we can approach this. Um we could talk about the Lakers, but I think we kind of understand what the deal is with the Lakers. They don't have their second and third best players, they're currently losing a lot of games, and they really have no business beating the Utah Jazz uh tonight, in my humble opinion. So I would like, at least, before we get to the rest of the Western Conference, before we talk about the Clippers, before we talk about Alex Caruso and the most provocative commercial that an NBA (laughs) player has put out in years, uh, which we will play for you if you haven't seen it, I'm going to ask you, Sabrina Merchant, the official question of the late night happy hour. Are the Utah Jazz for real? (laughs) Okay. We're looking, to, by the way, to get that question sponsored if anybody's out there. (laughs) Maybe you should talk to Alex Caruso on the next uh, Lakers media availability Ooh, and he see knows how, how to he's sell. Doing. He's got he like five endorsements going right now. It's it's a good time to be Alex Caruso, other than the you know losing five out of six games part of it. When but... isn't it a good time to be Alex Caruso though? Look, man, Caruso has those endorsements whether they lose games or not. The contracts are ironclad, so he's good. I mean, we. I mean, okay. I'll just make I'll make the cheap joke because I know it's what most of our audience wants to hear. Paul George didn't lose any of those endorsements after some of those backboard shots. There, I said it. Sorry, Paul George. <laughs> totally unfair, cheap shot. I actually like the guy. <laughs> but you you do what the audience wants. Okay. Are the Utah Jazz for real? Thank you for, for putting real, it and getting back. In the yes. sense that they can win more than one playoff series? Well, they, I mean... Oh, I, yeah, I, no, you got to be realer than that. Okay. Absolutely. Right. That is not real enough. Let's see. Uh, I believe the Utah Jazz are for real. Yes. I think they have good enough half-court creation with Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley. They have a system that just works incredibly well because these guys have been in it for at least two years, all of them. I mean, the only free agency acquisition they made was getting Derek Favors, who grew up in Utah with the Jazz. Right. 
So there's so much continuity, which I think, you know, makes them look a little bit better than they are right now during this particularly weird regular season when mm-hmm. no one's practicing and there is a shortened off season and all that. But I I really, I, I believe in them. I mean, they get up like what, 45 threes a game. And if you make 20 of those, that's a pretty good start against the whatever team you're facing. Uh, they've got a guy in Rudy who just is an instant defense in and of himself. Uh, I like him a lot. Yeah, I think I think they're for real. When you say better than they are because of that continuity, what what are the parts that uh, or the aspects of the Jazz that we've seen so far that you think might be inflated or or might come down to earth a bit when the re- when the rest of the league catches up to them or whatever? Yeah, so I mean, I'm not sure that they're going to be any any worse, you know. But like relatively speaking, they won't have the the edge over everybody else. Uh, it's just, it's harder to game plan, right? During the regular season when there's only one day off between all these games and there's, again, no practice time and it's just a, a disaster for regular season, really. And they don't have that issue, right? They know their system inside and out and they're they're at the point where they're instituting counters into their offense and defense. They're like working on the next thing and no team is at that level yet. That's so, I mean, obviously that's a huge advantage this year in particular, but I, I do believe that they just have enough good players to hold some of that advantage, even when the rest of the league catch up, catches up. Okay. Like, I'm not saying that they're going to beat the Lakers at full strength, but I, I don't think that's a qualifier for being real, is it? But you it is. No, you didn't okay. say that they wouldn't beat them. And so therefore, I just tweeted out that Sabrina is picking the Jazz over the Lakers in five, in five. Um, okay. whenever they meet, um, only because it's a gentleman sweep. They're going to let them take one I game. I do love a gentleman sweep, yeah. So, okay. <laughs> Here's the here's the part that I because I've I've heard people make that point. I think it's a really smart one that the continuity thing. I, I forget who we were talking to the other day, Andy, that was on on this very program, and I just forget a lot of things now. The part that I was thinking about this tonight, why why does the continuity advantage go away in the playoffs? I understand that you know you get to a point where you can stop, you can game plan for one team, you can do all that stuff, but doesn't the continuity that they have also serve them in the playoffs and being able to do things in a more advanced way? Like if you're going to, if you have to play catch up and if you're not as tight as a group as you would want to be going into the playoffs and this other team is way ahead of you in that regard, don't they at least keep some of that advantage in a playoff series? Oh, I definitely think they keep some of that advantage. I just don't think it's to the same extent like the gap that they've created in the regular season i don't think what is going to exist in the playoffs but i also think that there's some like structural flaws with the jazz that just are not tested during the regular season and that's the kind of thing that would get exploited potentially during the playoff series i'm just not sure that there are enough teams in the league who can really do that because again really good team (laughs) like i think they should have three all-stars they don't mike conley seemed aware of that tonight's game but oh uh, god (laughs) When he splashed a three on Marcus All, I was just like, "This is this is really rude, Mike. Like you didn't need to do that to Mark." He's Mike Conley. Beyond being, I I think, a really good player, and I think for a really for all of his career, a pretty underrated player. He is a really, really nice guy. Like you will never hear a bad word about Mike Conley Jr. So that's like it's it's, Brian and I were actually talking about this a couple days ago. It's similar to when Lamar Odom that year that he won Six Man of the Year. He had been in the conversation about potentially making the, the all-star team as a reserve, which had never happened before with Lamar. And, you know, you're never going to meet anybody in the league more like than L.O. And he was genuinely sad he didn't make it because, like, he knew that he, he only had so many opportunities to do it. And despite having two championships at the time, he had never really been, I think, in sniffing distance of an all-star game before. They even made that a storyline on Keeping Up with the Kardashians that year. I remember. <laughs> yes. It was uh, it was poorly done, though. They had it like as if the fan <laughs> building was for all-star reserves. And that really bugged me because that's not how reserves are chosen. But, you know, live and learn. <laughs> did you, did are, you write like an angrily worded letter to E? I mean, the show's coming off the air now, isn't it? <laughs> I think, like, yeah. Years. <laughs> like, I finally got my revenge. <laughs> Actually, I think it's longer than te- it's like twenty seasons, something like something insane like yeah, that. Yeah, the 
when you're not on like network television, I guess a season doesn't have to span like normal amounts of time so they can get, you know, three seasons, so to speak, within one calendar year. But yeah, it's it's an insane amount of television. You're right. Top Chef is on like season 28 or something. Like, it hasn't <laughs> been. And I know Top Chef has not been on since I was like in college. No, <laughs> like, it's like I, my sophomore year in, in high school, <laughs> I wasn't watching that. I think Shark Tank is like close to 15 or 20 seasons. I'm like, yeah, there's no way it's been that long. <laughs> no, no, it's nowhere close to that. It's been on longer than you think, though. It's been on long up. enough for Mark okay. to have filmed don't look Shark at, Tank. Don't, Andy, don't look it up. When do you okay. think Shark Don't Do not look it up. When did Shark Tank debut? 2013. Sabrina? It's definitely earlier than that because Mark Cuban missed a pitch meeting with Darren Williams to film Shark Tank, and that was the summer of 2012. So nice pull, Sabrina. I'm thinking, I'm gonna say 2011. You are both wrong, and you are both not giving it nearly enough credit. August 9th, 2009. What? 2009? 2009. Damn. So, yeah. That's a lot of Shark Tank. That's a lot of Shark Tank. You know who loves Shark Tank? My children, yes, they love do. Love Shark Tank, like their favorite thing to do. They, my, my grandma, our mother, and mm -hmm. the, the the my my kids love watching Shark Tank together. Like like my kids, my son is eight years old. He knows do not walk into that room overvaluing, you know, <laughs> and you know <laughs> your your sales. Like you cannot ask them for for something that's overvalued in that way. You'll get laughed out of the room. He knows that he's eight. Well, I mean, he's. His entire existence has been with Shark Tank, right? <laughs> That's true, um, but you no. Know, but I, I actually saw that the other day that there was like, and this is this is this happens sort of in the NBA too. Like you start to age yourself, where there are people now coming on Shark Tank who grew up watching Shark Tank and are inspired by Shark Tank, and tell that <laughs> to the people. Like I learned how to be an entrepreneur from watching Shark Tank, um, but like. Okay, so back, but back to the back to Utah here. Like when you talk about structural stuff that you don't think works, I, I think the biggest argument I look at them and say they're at the very least wouldn't beat the Lakers. They don't. Who do you, who on the wings do you have in a seven game series? It's Joe Ingles. It's Bogdanovich. Like, is that enough to stop you know a LeBron AD combo, whatever? I, I don't know. Um, but if they play this well, they have. It seems like they have other advantage. They're kicking the crap out of people. Yeah. They're winning uh, every game by 20. Like they've got some margin here. Yeah, to me, it's not so much their defense that concerns me because, you know, so much of the Lakers' action is directed towards the paint and Rudy's just really good there. And it's not like, I mean, technically the Lakers have a stretch five in Marcus who can pull him out, but I'm sure they can just, you know, put a smaller guy on Mark and not be too worried about him being bullied by Gasol in the post or something. So right. I think Gobert is enough of a deterrent in the paint that their defense isn't what concerns me. It's their offense because. Every time they run up against a switching defense, they just like lose the ability to generate reliable shots. Um, it happened against Houston twice in the playoffs. Uh, saw it against the Clippers last week when they played against them. Uh, that seems to me to be their kryptonite, and it just doesn't happen that much during the regular season because teams aren't going to just you know show all their cards against the Jazz you know in a regular season game. And if they're not normally a switching team, they're not just going to decide to do that against Utah. So that to me is really where I think they could have some difficulties and like I like Conley a lot I'm not sure he's a switch buster you know like he's not a guy who's going to take a wing one-on-one -on -one and like get into the paint and generate shots he's like more that. of a prober than that type of exactly yeah. yeah what's interesting though when you were talking about you know putting somebody like say Royce O'Neal on Marcus Gasol if he if he spaces out and still trying to keep Rudy Gobert there that's where the Lakers you know, 20 or so games of not being able to hit threes after that incredible start, that's where they really start getting screwed. Because if you, the more guys that you have that can actually hit outside shots, the more problematic it becomes trying to get away with parking Rudy Gobert as close to the paint. And, you know, the, the disadvantage that you theoretically uh, have with him matched up against Marc Gasol. But if the Lakers, I mean, Look, let's be honest. If the Lakers keep shooting threes like this, they ain't going to the finals anyway. Right. But it, the the more of those outside shots they can hit in a theoretical Western Conference Finals against the Jazz, the more you screw up what the Jazz look to have in Rudy Gobert. Right, and it's it's interesting because 
the Lakers went through just like a terrible shooting streak in the bubble, right? Like those first eight seeding games. Oh God, they were awful. It was so bad, right? And it even extended to like the first game of the Portland series, right? And I'm not sure that they're any worse now than they were then. And they turned it around and I don't think their personnel is like markedly better now than it was then. So there's no reason to believe that like this particular stretch of shooting is more indicative of who the Lakers are than the first part of the season. Uh, Oh yes, I mean, there is. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, that I disagree. I, mean, I don't think I don't think Contavious Caldwell Pope is a guy who's going to miss every single shot he takes. Like that's just that well, no. I mean, is, is 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 Alex Caruso? I think is shooting like fifteen percent from three over the last like nine. Okay, okay. he is a better than fifteen percent right. three point shooter. I, I absolutely agree with that. But like, here's you know, I we I, we sat here. I mean, literally, I sat here and. Like we're genuinely was worried about the Lakers in the bubble, like because they were not a good three point shooting team during the season either, during the you know the the pre bubble season, and it got a little bit worse, and we were all sitting here going like if they shoot like this in the playoffs, there's going to be a problem, and they didn't, and that was good, but like there's no guarantee this year that they can go into the playoffs and that will turn around again. Markeith Morris did not hit a three-pointer until the playoffs began. He was <laughs> awful. And, you know, all of a sudden, KCP couldn't miss and and Markeith couldn't miss. And I, I the thing that, you know, everybody knows that the Lakers shoot 37% from three-point range in the playoffs, they're going to win another title. Like, I just, I don't think they're beatable it that way. But what if they shoot 32 like, what's the threshold where the Lakers become vulnerable because their three-point shooting isn't good, because their free-throw shooting isn't good, and because at that point you just aren't generating easy enough offense? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that comes down to how good Anthony Davis is because there's a certain baseline you can expect from LeBron James, and whether you shoot, like, 32 or 35% from threes, uh, like, I don't think that's going to swing the game. I think what's going to swing is like when you need to make a difficult shot, Anthony Davis is the guy to make a difficult shot. And that's what he did during the playoffs last year. And I think, I think he we kind of overestimate crazy. how good the shooting was other than like, like there was like one game where Marquise Morris made four threes in the first quarter. And like, I'm not sure he was that good beyond that. Um, yeah. And he was like, sorry, go ahead. AD made, to your point, yeah. Sabrina, AD made incredible shots. And I mean, he was making shots from everywhere on the court and he was, he was, I think in his own right, as unguardable as LeBron. And you, when you have two guys that unguardable who are that interchangeable inside and outside playing off each other, that's, that is very, very difficult to beat. Yeah. I mean, that, that's really where it comes down to me. I mean, I think like league average three, three point shooting this year is like 38%. It's something ridiculous. Damn. Um, yeah. So the Lakers being bad, like looks even worse because you've got teams like Utah who are making what, 22 out of 48 oh today <laughs> and a lot of those it's just like jordan clarkson like dribbling into a three and it's like i i feel like i've seen this shot before and it's not supposed to go in this often but... league average is 37 percent. yeah that yeah. is staggering wow. okay good. stunning right like he used to think like 35 was like the marker right and it just keeps going up and up <laughs> well we'll get to this is this important is... we'll get to the clips the clippers are shooting 42 percent as a team yeah. this is by the way how much better utah was tonight from behind the arc versus the Lakers, they made 22 threes in this game for 45%, but 22 threes, the Lakers shot 24%. Like they made almost as many threes as the Lakers percentage for threes. Like that's, that is an insane discrepancy. I mean, then that would mean like the average team would make 37 threes against you, right, Brian? <laughs> I, I, I'm trying to wrap my head like I like I don't know if that's a like the statistic that Andy just threw out there is a number that like I don't think has ever been formulated before and I'm not entirely sure it means anything but it sounds really important. It sounds impressive. It right? sounds yeah. bad. I mean, look, I mean, half these stats are made up anyway. So oh, I mean, no, I mean, we're always inventing new ones. So I mean, I, I don't know what I call the one I just threw out there, but it sounds it sounds really profound. I need to see the transcript of what that, what you actually just presented <laughs> and then like look at it. And then I need somebody to like kind of dig in to see if like, okay. does that happen a lot? But it sounds awful. It no, makes I it know sound it. like a terrible team. <laughs> well, I know it's awful. I don't, I don't need that confirmed. I, I can <laughs> confirm that on my own. <laughs> I don't need, I, I don't need like Kevin Pelton to, to let me know I'm right about that. 
no offense, but I, I, I got this covered. Yeah. Well, the Lakers I, did only turn the ball over 14 times tonight. That's pretty good for them. <laughs> Jesus. 14 seems like above average, too, actually. Oh, that, that, that's Better actually... than like the 19 against Washington, though. Was it 19? It was bad. They've been averaging, I think, like 15 on the season. They are, they are really, really bad at taking care of the ball. Yeah. You know, it's funny, though, Sabrina. Like, if you're the average looking... Is 14. See, if you're at that, they're average. If you're... <laughs> Yeah, this this stress. That's all anybody does is just throw the ball away and shoot threes. <laughs> it, like, if you're looking for something, I guess, I don't know, reassuring in the face of what the Lakers are going through right now, I, I would say it's that there's really nothing they can do about it. You know what I mean? Like, there's really nothing you can do to fix this. Like, Frank Vogel tonight, during, during this game, Frank Vogel uh, threw out a new lineup with Talon Horton Tucker and Markeith Morris uh, starting ahead of Kyle Kuzma and Wes Matthews. And it started out okay. And I think the logic of it made a lot of sense in terms of, I think, trying to pair THT more with LeBron so he doesn't have to do quite as much as a playmaker. And, you know, you're you're matching up Markeith Morris with uh, Royce O'Neal, you know, so you don't have to have that much scoring versus scoring, give a little more punch off the bench. Like, I, I get it all. And it, in the end, did not work at all. And I, I don't, I don't think there's really anything you can do other than just ride this out and recognize this isn't their team. Like th this exactly. isn't the actual team they're dealing with. Yeah, I mean, you you put Anthony Davis into the mix, and it just it changes everything, right? Like I was talking about how Marcus All isn't the guy who's going to pull Rudy Gobert away from the basket. Anthony Davis is right. Like he's the guy who's going to make that offense stretch. Uh, you know, having, I'm not sure if Schroeder's the third best player. He's definitely the third best offensive player, I think. And just having another guy who can like actually get into the paint and drive and kick, like that could work. You know, that might help things it's, out. I, mean, I, I, you know, in, in a talent base, I mean, I, I love, I, I look, there are plenty of people around the league who, uh, you know, can break down numbers better, you know, know more information, um, are smarter. And other, we are talking to one of them tonight in you, but um, yes. I, I don't, I don't, Need like it's like who's the who's the second best player on the Lakers tonight? Like you know, if you made a list of the of, of the players available to the Lakers, who would you say is the second best player on the team? Uh, Mark. Mark is it? It's 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 Gasol. It's Trez. It's Kyle Kuzma. I mean, okay. If I told you there's an NBA team running around out there where Montrez Harrell is the second best player, or Kyle Kuzma is the second best player, you're going to tell me that's probably not a great team. So I mean, it's like barely a playoff team, <laughs> right? I mean, I don't care who the best player is on the team. If your second best player is Kyle Kuzma, and I love what Kuzma's been doing this year, but if he's your second best player, you know the Lakers went through that. <laughs> the <laughs> results were not good. Right. That's the to Andy's point. That's the answer to the question. Like they they don't have good players right now, or enough good players. And you know, I think there is they are not the Lakers, and there's the expectation that the the laundry sort of imparts special powers and it doesn't it's you know i mean so i think andy's right yeah i mean i think there are teams that are better built to withstand like the absence of one of their superstars i think the clippers are one of them but the lakers are perfectly i'm not not perfectly but like they're very well constructed to complement what those two guys do and when there's no one to complement it just doesn't look like anything yeah i mean the, the you're seeing right now in a lot of ways why even high-end role players are just role players. I mean, and and I don't mean to demean their importance because role players matter. I mean, you, you will never find a team that won a championship without some role players that stepped up in really huge moments. You know, we, we, we've all covered these teams before. But, you know, they're also role players. I mean, like, you, they can't become better you know, well beyond their station just because you need them to be. Like Alex Caruso, incredible commercials and all, and we're going to get into them. You know, he's got, <laughs> he's got, you know, one of the most epic commercials of the last like three or four decades. He can't become a better point guard than he actually is capable of just because the team desperately needs somebody who can make plays. Like that's not how this works. THT isn't going to become a nine-year veteran overnight just because they desperately need him. <laughs> Yeah, I missed it would the be helpful. Those are fun games. <laughs> yeah, it, it, are you at all concerned about? Uh, are either of you concerned about him in terms of Taylor? You know, because the hype was 
cray, as the kids might well used to say. <laughs> do they still say that? Kids, do you still say that? I'm not concerned. This is this is what Laker prospects go through, right? They all find this like ridiculous uh, mess of expectations thrown at them, and he didn't even get that last year because he was mostly with South Bay the entire season. So this is this is par for the course, right? This is what everybody goes through when they figure it out. Yeah, this is essentially his rookie year. I yeah. mean, for all intents and purposes, that he barely played it all last year. And it's also, too, like something that I always find really interesting with young players, especially as they start gaining prominence, uh, Sabrina, is just the idea of teams around the league starting to adjust to them and how they adjust to those adjustments. And at a time where you can't really practice, like it's hard enough as it is anyway. But for a kid like THT who's really inexperienced and can't really work with his team on a regular basis, it's going to be so much easier for experienced teams and experienced coaches to try to screw up what he's been doing earlier in the season than for him to be able to adjust to what they're doing. Yeah, I think the book is out that he can't finish with his left hand. Like, I think teams have figured that out. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's, he's bizarro Lamar Odom. It's delightful as it is to watch him, you know, just like, you know, cradle himself around whatever angle and basket to get the right hand. But uh, it's not that effective when people know. <laughs> no, but I mean, I will say like, the, the, I, I, there are still those moments where you see him. Like, I think the other, who they play the other night again, I, time is a flat circle. Was it the he came? Could have been the last one yeah. where the, just the footwork around the basket is so good and yeah. little stuff like that, where like you look at, like, he's clearly a really skilled player. He's just got stuff to work on. Like, I think the, I, maybe it was like what people saw like with Kuzma when when that sort of found money thing happened. He came out so hot out of the gate and you just weren't expecting it. Like the like it was only going to get better from there. Like, oh my God, he's this good now. Wait three weeks when he gets more playing time <laughs> under his belt. He's going to be a starter. Like people were talking about him like, you know, there were going to be teams out there that were going to do like the poison pill thing. And put like a third year on his contract for $27 million um, and steal him away from the Lakers, which I, uh, beyond the mechanics of, I forget how that stuff works. No, like let's <laughs> slow down. Like we're not quite there yet with THT. Uh, he's really good. Yeah. I'm really excited to see what he looks like when he turns 21, you know, but uh, for now, this is just a good opportunity for him. And at least he gets to like talk to LeBron about, everything that's going on on the court if he can't actually work through it in practice. Like, I, I love that moment. Uh, I can't remember what game it was. They all sort of blend together now. But, like, he he just threw, like, a, a really terrible entry pass to LeBron, and it got deflected out. And LeBron was just sort of, like, miming, like, what to do. Like, this is how we're supposed to work through things. And, like, that's, that's the kind of education he's not going to get on most other teams in the league. And, I, I mean, you can see him getting better. It's just there's a, a really long way to go. I've actually found it interesting the amount of times that Frank Vogel has actually used him as an inbounder. Like actually trusting him with that responsibility because I mean it, it is a real responsibility. A lot can get screwed up with somebody who doesn't know what to look for. I, I've actually been kind of surprised that he's let him do it. Yeah, I mean, uh, they they cut what Wes and Markeith out of the rotation for like a good two weeks to get him playing time, and I I think they're better off for it because I mean, who would have known that they were going to need his playmaking so much at this point in the season? But it's yeah, it's fun to watch him. I I just. Uh, I'm not at the point where I think he's going to be making impactful plays in a series against the Jazz or the Clippers. Well, I mean, it's funny, like, because like if you think he might, you have to play him now. I mean, that's mm -hmm. I think that's part of the logic of 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 having him in the rotation the way he was. Was if you think you might need that skill set, and you know, the somebody who can put the ball on the floor, get to the basket, whatever it might be, another ball handler, you can't expect him to perform. You know, if you start putting him in the lineup in April uh, exactly. or May or, you know, June, whenever the regular season ends <laughs> and then expect him to do it, like the, the calendar is all off. But like you have to do it now. You have to give him time now. And it, it you know, Matthews has played again and, um, you know, Markeith has been in the lineup a little bit more. I think his spot's a little more tenuous, but it, it I, I, I agree with you. I think it's a little early to say he's, but like, of, of all the sort of dudes who are kind of part of this rotation, he is one of the only guys with that particular skill set. So there's a better chance, I think, of him finding his way into the rotation or playing meaningful minutes in the playoffs. And there might be, you know, a, a, 
I'm, I'm trying to, you know, whether maybe Wes or, or Marquis for those guys. I'm like, because THT does something that those guys don't. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the, one of the painful things about this recent stretch has been watching Alex Caruso trying to assert himself as a scorer. And mm. I love a lot of things about Caruso's game, but like going one-on-one -on -one and trying to create in the paint is not one of them. Uh, so yeah, you're right. Talon no. has just uh, something that the other guys don't. And if you if you want to uh, if you want to see Alex Caruso assert himself as a scorer, <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's do that. This yeah, is showing no, up no, no, as no, the just, ad yeah, in front of like just, all of my tweets. Just the last teasing two days. it. No, it's not happening yet. We're just teasing it. That, like, <laughs> that that's what it is. That's the beginning of Alex. I I have to say that when I saw that ad air that air aired during the game mm -hmm. uh, a couple games ago, I was like. Did I just see that? <laughs> I did it. Is that what I just saw? Like I, I saw it live on television. I was like, oh yeah. my god! I, I'm not joking. I did like a real double take. Like, like, a, like what? Like, <laughs> what? Like, yes, yeah, it's, it's one thing to watch Jane and Green, like you know, advertise on Instagram for this sort of thing. It's another thing to like be watching with your parents. I, like, I, yeah. I, I was like, can you even do that on television? <laughs> like, like, this, this, like, you know. Spectrum, this is the family hour. <laughs> like, I, I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> like, the, the, these made a Viagra commercial blush. <laughs> See, this is how you get Alex to come back on a discount by letting him air his promotional materials on Spectrum. Well, it's also, too, it's like, you know, what made it, and now, now we're just going to play the ad because we're talking about it too much. Um, so I mean, what, what made it so amazing, too, is like, if you people remember, Caruso's first foray into manscaping uh and, and the ads was like him being like look i do it above the the waist like you can use the stuff like in your bathroom like a normal person like it's 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 a shaving razor like you can do it but now he i mean good god he has really gone all you don't in. get the big bucks for going above the waist no <laughs> clearly not <laughs> here we go are you ready to step up your ball game it takes performance, precision, power. And if you want to score, you gotta be smooth. <laughs> Head over to manscaped.com to get your lawnmower 3.0 and receive free shipping with your online order. Unbelievable! It's really funny. <laughs> it, it, the vis, the actual visual, the eggs, the, yeah. the, eggs, the butter, the, the sex is carrying. He's carrying basketballs with him. <laughs> like that. I mean, just the opening. Like, do you want to step up your ball game? Is so perfect. <laughs> it's amazing. I, I, I mean, look, we've been around. All of us, the, the three of us, have been around <laughs> Alex Caruso since he first emerged with the G League team. And, you know, he was just the guy that, you know, everybody it thought it was adorable that this, you know, goofy-looking white dude with a bad, bad hair situation, you know, who could dunk and pass a little bit. Like, it, it was like a fun sort of, you know, ironic story. If you had said this guy in four years, forget having sponsorships, just in and of itself, was going to cut one of the most epic commercials of, like... I don't know, ever? <laughs> you know, you, the history of television. Like, you even laughed out of the room. That would have sounded ridiculous. It's crazy. Just, I have no what, words. What, what, I, what I love about it is, like, the idea, like, Alex Caruso is leaning into the idea of, like, Alex Caruso as sex symbol. Like, <laughs> that's essentially what this is. Like, it's like, this sensuous, like nothing but ball references and all this other, like you were supposed to leave it. Uh, you know, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm a little comfortable even talking about it. You're supposed to leave that commercial, like really thinking about Alex Caruso's ball. Like, <laughs> I, I assume. Yeah. That's, that's the takeaway I got. No, I mean, like, you know, <laughs> frankly, the, the, the utility of them, I mean, like you're really, <laughs> you are really supposed to be going there with Alex Caruso. And again, if somebody had said, hey, that G League dude, that's going to be the guy doing like the, I don't know, shaving equivalent commercial of Viagra, you would have thought that that was absolutely <laughs> the stupidest thing ever. Yeah. Somehow this is like a more miraculous turn than him, like even being a productive rotation player. <laughs> like, this level of celebrity is insane. Look, 
I showed my wife a picture of Kelly Oubre, and mm-hmm. she's like, "Oh, like okay, like you know," because we were talking about like different player, different players, things that and I was like, "Oh, there's this guy who is like super into fashion, and he goes every year to France and all these other things, and you know, and and he is widely considered one of the best looking players in the NBA." And she, oh, and so I showed her a picture. She's like, "Oh, okay, I see it." I mean, Kelly Oubre is really good looking. Um, Alex Caruso's got a more of a normal guy vibe to him. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was I'm one of the judging. SI stories say, like the, the UPS driver. Yeah. <laughs> that is a great, if people have not seen that SI story, it, it's fantastic. Um, and, and like the, the great thing about Caruso, and he, it could be easy for him to either get sick of this or feel condescended towards. And I, and I think there was a period where he was almost starting to feel that way. Like, like, like his actual basketball ability wasn't really being talked about enough. Mm-hmm. Like he, like he was more of a feel good story than an actual basketball story. But now that I think he recognizes people know the value that he brings to an, you know, a championship level team, he was closing games for a championship level team, now he'll just take all your memes and all your yeah. jokes and all the way and give a shit. He's like, you know what? At this point, now it just pays. Like, yeah, bring absolutely. it on. I don't care. Yeah, that's a really good point. This is the kind of thing that he couldn't do if, uh, like, his championship bona fides like were under question, right? Like, he gets to start Game Six of the finals, and now it's like, all right, now let's yeah. have some fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, because in, in fairness, so much. I mean, it was you know. There is a lot of the, you know, the look at, hey, the white guy, the white bald guy can jump. Like, you know, it, it, it like that's, that was half the, the story there then. But the, you're right. He is incredibly valuable. This is actually where statistics and analytics and, you know, the, the nerds are really helpful because, like, almost to the point where people, I think, overstate a little bit of what he's capable of doing. Like, why isn't Alex Caruso playing 43 minutes a night? Um, <laughs> you know, like, but like, you need those people to point out, folks, the best lineups the Lakers have in the fourth quarter are with Alex Caruso. The best lineup, the best two man pairings that LeBron James has ever had include Alex Caruso and have for like, you need people to be able to point that out. Otherwise, he stays a gimmick. Yeah. It's just, uh, he's just another reminder of uh, role players are still role players though. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right now but, he is, but he's a role player with a great with a killer commercial. commercial. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, but before, ahead, we, before we move on to the next topic, uh, we actually have a question for you. It's from um, at HM Fagan, uh, NBA insider, Harrison <laughs> Fagan. I don't know who that is. Never heard of him. Ask her about her dad's basketball takes. I'm telling you, it will be must watch. I mean, there's just so many directions I can go with this. Uh, <laughs> pick, pick whatever lane you'd like, Sabrina. If you need to think for uh, like about 45 seconds, we'll play the Caruso commercial. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my uh, so my dad uh, came to LA right around the start of Showtime. Okay, so he's been a Laker fan. This, the entire time he's lived in America, basically. And that's how he raised me and my brother, you know, to be Laker fans. So uh, he's not had a... go to college, not get a, you know, get a <laughs> job, go be Laker fan. I think it worked out okay. Um, but yeah, yes. so he's he's had a hard time accepting LeBron. You know, he likes the Lakers who start their careers here and, you know, are in Laker blood the whole time. And it's funny because while the Lakers were really bad, like, you know, how all the kids in Southern California, like really latched on to Steph Curry. Like my dad is one of those too. So he loves the Warriors so much now. And like everything LeBron does is compared to Curry, which is just like a really weird way to experience the <laughs> Lakers now. Um, but yeah, uh, today my dad realized that LaMelo ball was better than Lonzo. Cause we were spending more time on that game than the, the Laker game. Um, that was <laughs> nice realization to come to, uh, He's been is wanting it, to. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, is is there a bitterness in in his mind that somehow the Lakers didn't end up with the Lamelo Ball experience, they had the Lonzo Ball experience? I think the the real bitterness is that we didn't end up in the Clay Thompson experience. Um, he's already yeah. decided that if the Lakers meet the Warriors in the playoffs when Clay Thompson is playing, he'll root for the Warriors, which like I cannot deal with. Like literally, Showtime is like when my dad started watching basketball. <laughs> And this is what we've come to. That is uh, weird. Yeah. Like uh, 
this he can't watch the Lakers now because there's no Anthony Davis and he doesn't like watching LeBron. Um, so there's no watching him now. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, that doesn't make your dad weird. It just means he has taste. It doesn't mean he has taste. Yeah. Uh, but basically, is, he's a 13 year old boy. He he's just a <laughs> Yeah, the the way I like uh, have to just explain everything is like it doesn't matter that we drafted Lonzo over Tatum. Like he would have been in New Orleans now. It doesn't matter that we drafted you know D'Angelo over Porzingis or whoever else was in that draft. Like he would have been somewhere else now. So this is the team we're stuck with. LeBron's here. Like we should start to like him now. Stuck with? They won a title last year. (laughs) Oh yeah. So my my dad literally like the one thing he liked about LeBron from the championship experience was when he said like i want rob palinka to get his respect too <laughs> like that was the moment that stuck out for him <laughs> god that is so like he's he's really dedicated. He's like you know what i really liked about lebron and like this was like when they were getting their rings he's like i liked when he said that palinka should have gotten his respect i'm like for bringing lebron over <laughs> like, what are we talking about i mean i could have done that i mean it's funny like you know not to, you have to go down the the palinka thing but like you know the the, the heart rob gets too little credit for the stuff that he actually does that are hard and too much credit for the stuff that probably isn't that hard that he managed to do. And getting LeBron here was not the hard part. Um, you, uh, you mentioned before Sabrina that the, the, uh, Clippers are, have a roster that's sort of meant to complement their players a little bit more. They're obviously they're playing sneaky well too. And this, despite having their guys in and out of the lineup and, and all that stuff, how, how threatening do you think they are where, you know, relative to Utah, relative to the Lakers? Um, and what's different about them this year than last? So I think the Clippers are the best team in the league. Um, I thought that last year too, though. So I was wrong. <laughs> um, so you can take that with a grain of salt. But I think the difference this year is that they finally have secondary actions beyond the first thing if it doesn't work. Uh, there's like a definite flow to their offense. It didn't exist last year. Um, you can see that, I think, like statistically, you know, it's just measured in the number of passes they make, the number of assists they take. Uh, but like the things just make more sense. Like they're not asking Kawhi Leonard to run pick and roll every time down the floor. Like they get him into a spot in the mid post and let him be comfortable there. Like they uh, they put more playmaking in Paul George's hands. And even though that's resulted in a lot of turnovers, that makes him a lot more comfortable. And like his efficiency, just shooting the ball is freaking off the charts. Like you mentioned earlier that the Clippers are shooting, I think 42% from three PG's like plus 45, I think. Um, And the volume of shots that he takes, like it seems ridiculous that he's capable of that um, efficiency. But I think one thing that really helps the Clippers this year compared to last year is they have competent rim protection for 48 minutes of the game. Like you've got Ibaka and Zubac, and that's really hard to deal with uh, just if you're trying to get into the paint. And they have more players who are capable on both sides of the floor. Like, you know, they were relying on Lou Williams, Reggie Jackson a lot last year. And, you know, those are guys who you don't really trust defensively. And they were relying on Zubac a lot last year. And he was a guy who was harder to work in offensively. And now they've got, Batum and Ibaka and Marcus Morris is playing really well. Uh, they just have a roster to me that makes more sense than it did last year. And with Ty Lu, who has you know been to the finals very recently, is just awesome at making adjustments in the playoffs. Like I think back to that 2018 Cleveland Finals run where literally they were using a different closing lineup in every single series to get there. Uh, I just have a lot of faith in his ability to push the right buttons. So I think that's what looks different for the Clippers this year. You're, I mean, you're as around the Clippers as anybody can be in the COVID age where we're doing everything over Zoom, but you, you've you covered this team closely. <laughs> they, they, they remind me a bit of Utah in the sense that it seems like both teams had a lot of tension that eventually got out in the open and it needed to be just discussed mm-hmm. and chopped up. And, you know, in the case of the Clippers, uh, you know, uh, Montrez Harrell is somebody that's not with the team anymore who was in the middle of all that, no matter who you think was right or wrong. But it it feels like both of those teams have really benefited from just getting a lot of shit out in the open and having to acknowledge it. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I like Doc Rivers a lot. And personally, he's super fun to talk to, but he'd been there for a really long time and there have just yeah. been some bad losses on his ledger. And how, however much you think Ty lose an upgrade over Doc, like I, I'm in the camp that it's a sizable upgrade. I'm not sure that it, you know, I don't even think it needs to be that big. Just having a different face 
in the head coach's chair, like right. that makes a difference. Like then there's so many new people on that coaching staff too. There's just, there's a lot of new blood there, but you still have the Kawhi, Paul George, which is just a really hard duo to guard because nobody in the league has two wings of that size who can handle both of them. And like, I know we can make all the Paul George playoff jokes and like, he's, he's been not as good in the playoffs ever since he joined the Western conference. Like that is an undeniable fact, but like if he plays, I'm not saying even as well as he is playing now because his regular season Paul George is ridiculous right now. But like if he hits like Indiana level Paul George in the playoffs, like that's that's a really hard player to guard, especially when you're putting your best perimeter defender on Kawhi already. Just that. What? Right. So like what but like what happens like last year they had the problem with Lou and with Trez both being able to be played off the floor. This year, in theory, you could probably play Lou off the floor. How big of a deal is that? So even if you play Lou off the floor, I think you still have that starting lineup with uh, Beverly, Batum, and Ibaka that are surrounding those two. And then you, I think Zubac is a worthwhile player. I think Morris is a worthwhile player that you can play with both those guys. So they're not as reliant on Lou anymore as they were a year ago because like, they don't go to the Lou Montrez pick and roll anymore. Like They don't have Montrez anymore, right? So uh, all of Lou's actions run through Kawhi and PG, and it's it's just easier to carry on without him. I mean, and I don't think Morris has missed a three-pointer in February. It's it's been a lot. <laughs> he missed a couple against uh, Brooklyn, but other than that, it's been smooth every sailing. time I turn on the TV, it's it's Brian Seaman going senior for three. Yeah, right. Another one. Every yeah, it, single time. It's Do the Lakers call Markeith twin? I don't know. Because when they refer to Morris, like Ty Lue, all the other guys, they only call him twin, which I think is weird when there's another one, but I, I don't know. I, I didn't really have friends who were twins growing up. I I know you guys are not. I'm not trying to suggest that. No, no, no. no. I, I, yeah. Mike, Brown, Mike Brown used to always call us twin. He, hmm. he, he would always refer to both of us. He's either, he's either twin or twinny hmm. um, all the time. Um, so while fully aware that we were not, we twins. weren't right. I, here's my thing though. I do not approve of adult twins. Um, <laughs> I don't. I don't think it's okay. I, I find them. I think it's. I think they're creepy. Um, it's. It's adorable when they're little and like you know they run around. And, oh, look at those little ragamuffins that look the same. It's not okay when they get older. And old people twins are the worst. Like, like 75, 80 year old. Like that is really weird and creepy. And I do not like it. I do not approve. Um, I fully admit that this is a me thing. And it's not necessarily their fault, but I, it's not okay. So I don't, I'm not a big fan of the, of the Morrises, although I do, I respect how deep they sort of take the thing to like, even to the identical tattoos. Not the, anymore. Right. But for a while. Yeah. And well, I, I, are, there, are there, are there tats now? There's, uh, I guess like, is there enough of a difference that, that you can know who's who just by looking at the ink? I know that there's a difference. I, I've never like paid enough attention to the ink itself because like I'm assuming a lot of it's like covered by the jersey too, but their facial hair is different now too. Like they've they're taking some steps apart. Yeah. <laughs> they be they've become their own people. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh well, partially because Marcus, I mean, they can't do the joint bank account thing anymore because Marcus makes way more money. Or maybe that's um, why they do the joint bank account thing. So Keith can, you know, be subsidized to play for the Lakers. I just, I, 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 anyway, I don't approve of adult twins, but sure, anyway, sure. Uh, to, twins, your, to your previous point, and I forgot what it was at this point. I should, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> well, here's actually, there's something interesting. Like, you know, the, the second half uh, schedules were, were released. And one of the things I, that I noticed with the Lakers, um, but this involves the Clippers too, the Lakers in May, the final month have four back-to-backs, like basically their, their May is basically all back-to-backs, which could be pretty hairy considering they're already really damn tired. Like, they have way more back-to-backs in the second half than the first. They had three in the first half. They've got seven in the second half. But they also have two cracks at the Clippers as well as two cracks at Utah. And I think they've got, like, one or two games apiece with Phoenix and Portland, like all the teams that are within three and a half games of them in either direction – so, like, the Lakers and the Clippers, for that matter, still, like, have this opportunity to, to mess with each other's seedings. And, and, you know, to whatever degree that you actually think it matters for either of them or if for nothing else, just the matchups that they could end up having before they hopefully eventually meet each other. 
Like we're going to be seeing a lot of those two going up against each other. That's going to be really interesting. Yeah, I mean the the one thing that stuck out to me with the schedules is uh, the Lakers have a seven game road trip in like mm -hmm. March and April. Meanwhile, the Clippers have a nine game homestand, which is absurd. Like, why would you have to send the Lakers away for that long just to get the Clippers and I? The league it's favoring the, the Clippers. Grammy. It's the Grammys again, right? Oh, yes. It's always <laughs> the Grammys. <laughs> Yeah, this is the the lesser known AMA road trip. I think that's what they're going on. Did you yeah. did you notice, Sabrina? Apparently, that the Lakers played like one game against an Eastern Conference team in the first half of the season because it seems like every seems like they play Orlando four times <laughs> in the second half. Yeah, I got to be honest. The one game I had circled on my calendar when the schedule was released today was when the Clippers play the Sixers. I'm very excited for the Doc Rivers revenge game and. Uh, Paul George and Seth Curry also have long-standing beef, so that's yeah, that's the only one I was looking at. It is funny, like you know, I I am not a a doc. It's not that I don't think Doc is a good coach. I think Doc is in many ways overrated. Um, and I thought when the Clippers, you know, swapped out for Lou, I thought that was an upgrade in a lot of ways. Certainly as a as an X's and O's person, but I don't think they really even lost much in terms of voice and gravitas and all that. Just given how respected Ty is around the league and among players. Um, but the flip side is Doc going to Philly makes a ton of sense there. He's sort of replacing himself. You know, Brett Brown was basically that guy in Philadelphia where the stars of that team needed a different voice to tell him what to do, even if it was the same thing. You know, they just needed a different guy. Yeah, absolutely. I think Brett Brown was hired the same year that Doc was. So, yeah, it's pretty he much like a like that long. Yeah, he was there at the start of the process. Oh, so wow. like right when they traded, uh, was it Michael Carter Williams? Oh no, they, yeah, they traded. Is that before or after the debut of Shark Tank? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, uh, by the way, we have another question from Twitter. This is from at uh, Daman R. <laughs> Daman Rangula. I'm not familiar. I'm not familiar is. with his work. Where's the TV? Sabrina, there, there's a question about where your TV and, and presumably the OCD cord is. So again, like we said, people people do watch, people do pay attention, and frankly, I'm, I'm flattered that I have uh, people who remember what the setup is supposed to look like. Here. We get more, we get more mails, Sabrina, that says, "Bring back that nice lady with the weird cords." Oh, yeah. hey, this with, uh, with the unkept uh, audio setup. This Domin character is also in the chat. I'm not saying Doc, Doc is a bad coach. I just, I just think he's a bad coach. That's one way of putting it. I just don't know how Again, to end that sentence otherwise. I'm not familiar with his work. No. Um, this Domin character. Does he work? I, I'm not sure. I believe he was very uh, guarded about the details of his work last time. <laughs> I gotta be honest. If I had to say, if I had this sort of Twitter profile that he did, I, I wouldn't be <laughs> telling everybody who my employer was either. No, no. When you when you are as good at snark as uh, whoever this domin is, I'd keep a lot of things secret too, <laughs> including my employer. The less the less that is spoken of, the better. Yeah, it's this this schedule with the Lakers, man. Like. First of all, they, I was relieved just to see that their season began on a Friday after the All-Star break as opposed to the Wednesday. Like, everything for them matters. Like, especially for LeBron. Like, the, there is nobody in the league that has less business playing in this All-Star game than the captain of the West. Like, I mean, really, like, he has no business being there. There's no upside to it whatsoever. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Um I find myself like already standings watching, you know, to see like which matchups favor the Lakers best. And like, I'm kind of even rooting for them to get to the four seed just so we could save like a theoretical Lakers Clippers matchup for the Western Conference Finals. Um, yeah, but there's so many good teams in the West. Like, it's crazy. How how many? Because uh, you know, I I still believe Denver straightens it out. And, you know, they've been, they've certainly been better. They got off to a terrible start, and they've been better since then. Portland, you have at some point, you just have to start thinking that Portland's just pretty good. Like, win multiple series, probably not, because you're probably too reliant on Lillard at that point. But they're doing all of this right now without McCollum, which means something. And, you know, I mean, obviously Utah is really good. San Antonio, 
How is San Antonio in fifth place? Do you want to play that team? In the, I, I don't think I that, do. That's the one I would root for, honestly. Like that's that's the best out of the options. But but like you want to talk about a pain in the ass. Like I was reading today, the, the Ringer had a great thing about like how incredibly good their their second unit is defensively. Like weird pop shit like that. <laughs> like just nobody wants. You don't want that in the playoffs. No, you don't. Um, you know, like you know, all the way down, and you know, if Dallas gets their stuff together, they could become one of those random, really good eight seeds that make you work harder than you're supposed to in the first round. Like, it's not getting any easier unless you're in the Eastern Conference, which once again sucks. It's terrible. <laughs> just the worst. Why do we not relegate them already? God, just Every like it's it's like Godfather Three. Like every time I think I'm out, they pull me back in. But it's the reverse. It's like every time I think them they're in, they pull me out. Like they're they they like can't I, get their shit together. Like I thought conference. Brooklyn was struggling for so long, you know, and they were just like solidly in second place in the Eastern right. We make a huge deal out of the Celtics being two games under 500. That puts them in ninth. <laughs> There are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven teams in the Eastern Conference between 15 and 15 and 15 and 17. Stupid. Come on. I mean, isn't Philly like worse than Phoenix record wise? Philly is 21 and 11. Phoenix is 20 and 11. They're the same. Okay. Yeah. So, like, you have one team in the East who even have home court in the West. Right. Memphis is the current 10 seed, which I guess is the cutoff now for the playoffs. Right. I still only think of it as top eight. But, like, you know, Memphis is is currently the 10. They are 13 and 14. And, by the way, played three weeks with two players. <laughs> like, for some reason, they were not excused from the protocols. They still had to go out and play with three guys. And they did. And they're still a game under 500. Yeah, if if for whatever reason the league ends up having to do the playoffs in a bubble again, there is absolutely no excuse for not doing just record seedings as opposed yeah. to by conference. Like this year, you have to do it because that that is just incredibly unfair to all these teams in the West who are so much better than like anybody but like the top two seeds in the East. I mean, just come on, what are we doing here? It's Be really creative, Adam. It's really frustrating. Seriously, come on, Silver, it's figure this out. Really, it's not okay. Um, all right, before we let you go, because we, we are edging near here to the top of the hour, this is good. We, we actually should have asked. We kind of hit on this yesterday with with uh, with Sopan, uh, Sopan Deb at the New York Times, who is a Celtics fan. Um, are they going to fire Danny Ainge and, and Brad Stevens? Probably no, but I do wonder when the, at least when the patience with some of those guys wears out. Um you are, as we mentioned, Sabrina, like probably the smartest person we know. Um, and we know like eight people. Oh, wow. So, uh, what, and you've been on Jeopardy, which is also something that you're the only person we know has done that. What do you, what's your take on how Ken Jennings has done as the guest host? I like Ken a lot. Um, so well, I, it I've sounds been... like a Doc Rivers compliment coming <laughs> right. I, I've been analogizing this, you know, replacing. Jennings is a, I'm not saying he's not a good coach, but <laughs> I'm not saying he's not. I'm not saying he's a good, not a good host. But <laughs> I will say the first episode he hosted, his pacing was pretty fast. Um, but mm -hmm. I remember watching Alex Trebek's first episode. Uh, they had aired like some old episodes back over the summer, and it is unrecognizable from when Alex Trebek became. So I'm willing to, you know, allow him some leeway in terms of figuring out his voice. I just thought it was really nice to have somebody who you associate with Jeopardy at the lectern. Like it feels very comfortable. It feels natural that Ken is there. Um, he knows all of the answers. So like he can, you know, provide some color with the trivia while he's hosting, which is nice. Uh, he just, it just feels like Jeopardy, you know, to see his face there, which is nice because it's been a really weird season on Jeopardy, right? Like all of the COVID protocols that they put in, like having, you know, the hosts have to stand 10 feet away from the contestants while they're interviewing. And right. it's everything is a little off, but just can make sense to me. I think because I was saying I watched, uh, I watched like one, I, I kind of watched his debut and, and then I you know, didn't see it for like a week and I kind of watched a few more. I was like, he's pretty good. Like yeah. it doesn't seem weird. I thought it was going to seem a lot weirder. Um, whereas like today I saw Drew Carey, um, hosting Price is Right, like he has for like decades now, mm -hmm. 
and it, like I was scared. I mean, he looked like he'd been like living <laughs> off in a compound for like like the beard is like way out to here, and it's like it's it's terrifying. I didn't quite know what was going on. Um, I I do think though that you could have gone from uh, a little more continuity and just gone Alex to Alex. Like, is there any <laughs> way the that this gets Caruso? The gig. Look at this. Power. Look at the feathery jumper. And if you want to score, the determination. Have you guys watched um, any of the episodes this week with Mike Richards hosting? No. no. Okay. Uh, so that's got to be a different vibe. Yeah, the, he's the producer of the show. to get your lawnmower 3.0 and receive free shipping with your online order. Sorry, we're not stopping and playing. Speaking this. of different vibes. <laughs> what are balls? <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, but I'll check it out. Yeah, not I, Michael I, Richards. No, not <laughs> Michael Richards. That would be super strange. Uh, but yeah, I I think about it's like replacing Alex Trebek, kind of like replacing Coach K, which is something I think about quite a bit. Um, and everyone sort of assumes that it's going to be like another Duke guy who replaces him. Which I don't know why it has to be that way, but like that's kind of how I feel about Ken. Like he's another Jeopardy guy that has to be there. Like it would just be strange if they brought in like Sanjay Gupta or Anderson Cooper, like any of the guest hosts who they've like floated, like right. are perfectly fine individuals to, you know, stand there for two weeks at a time. But. Well, I don't know. In this case, Andy and I always make fun of, uh, you know, he knows what it is to be a Laker. Um, <laughs> in this case, it may make sense. Um, it makes sense so. yeah. Is there somebody that like either has been suggested, but hasn't had their opportunity yet that or is outside the box that you'd love to see get a shot? Uh, I feel, I've heard the name Neil deGrasse Tyson a couple times. That would be interesting. Uh, Alex always used to say that he wanted Betty White to replace him. So I hope that she gets a guest turn because that, that would just be, be a so nice. Oh my! That would God. just be a nice way of like you know honoring his wishes. You know who's been thrown around that I think would be awesome. I mean, she's she's got too great of a gig of her own. I don't know if she have time. Is Mina Kimes? Oh yeah, she'd be, be fantastic. Really cool. yeah. I, didn't yeah. she talk about that on? Uh... On, you know, on on her feet, like I think she is her current very better excited than hosting Jeopardy. Idea. I I here's the thing, like her current gig may not be better than Jeopardy, like in terms of just that as a job, but stepping in to be the next host after Alex Trebek, I don't know if that's a better job specifically than what yeah. she has yeah. with ESPN. Yeah. Being the next guy after right. Alex, you know, and, you know, Mina's got to wait for her Paul Sunderland to come through. Yeah, Ooh. that's basically what that this was, is. That's that basically what you're talking about. <laughs> that was really rude. <laughs> but it like wasn't Paul, Paul Sunderland's fault. But like that's no that's Paul exactly Sunderland's actually very good at what he does. Chick Hearn dies. Literally, nobody wants that job <laughs> right away. Oh, it's and absolutely so, true. And like sure. somebody's got to do it. So he does. And then, you know, and it, he did a perfectly good job. He was a, he's a very good broadcaster. Yeah. And that's why the, like, No, we hate him. That's why the guest host thing works out well. Cause it's sort right. of like the bad pancake, you know, on the way. The bad pancake. Yeah. You know, um, like the first pancake is the bad pancake. Is this what? not an expression that y'all are familiar with? No, no. <laughs> um, so like, I think all pancakes are delicious. Oh, I think I know what you're talking about. I, I you're talking about like the the first pancakes that you make, they tend not to have the same brown as you go through making them. But the 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 hotter the grill gets, and I I I don't know the exact explanation, but you are 100 percent correct. The best looking pancakes are always the ones that you make the further along you go. You are 100 percent correct about that. They have the best consistency. The, the, like the best flatness, the best color. That is correct. Yeah. So the the guest hosts are like the bad pancakes, right? Like they're just the ones you have to throw out on the way, and then we get to somebody else. Right. Well, I still think it's going to be Ken. But. You're just Ken is your pancake. <laughs> <laughs> Though he's got this other show which I haven't watched. Um, the Chase. You all seen that? Uh, no. No. Um, but I can't imagine that like that would interfere with his desire to host Jeopardy if they asked him to come over. Like, there's no way he would say, oh, no, thanks. I've got this thing on ABC going on. Like, there's no chance. No clue um, what that is. No, I, yeah. Um, all right, Sabrina Merchant, uh, thank you again for coming. I mean, and thank you again for explaining the layout of your home <laughs> um, and for taking into consideration 
the weirdness of the people who watch this program with regularity. Um, and you can read all of your stuff. What else? We read all of it at SB Nation, but like what you get anything like coming out that people should look for in the in the next day or two or like you know anything to promote you got a tight five at the comedy club what's coming up <laughs> i'm not i'm not dumb on i don't have that you know bit to end on but <laughs> yeah uh silver screen roll that's where my columns run on fridays usually and i've got some stuff in the pipeline at clips nation which i'm not gonna tease too much but it's good stuff coming <laughs> okay all right <laughs> well the, again clippers and lakers are gonna have Very some mysterious. cracks at each yeah, they're going to have some cracks at each other in the second half. So you definitely want to keep up with Sabrina's coverage of the team. It is quite good. Uh, tomorrow night, Jorge Castillo, we're going to do some baseball. Um, spring training has started. It is it is in full swing. Things are happening with baseball. We're going to talk about them. I'm going to read about them tomorrow. I'm going to ask Jorge questions about them. Because, I, I mean, this whole baseball thing snuck up on me, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, Friday, Dave Schilling, uh, really funny guy. Uh, you know, good good on uh, the NBA, good on everything. Just really funny. Uh, he's going to join us. And then dresser. Yes. Natalie dressed, as they say. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, got a lot of good stuff coming up next week as well. Again, thanks to Sabrina. Check out all of her stuff over on uh, SB Nation, Silver Screen and Roll, Clips Nation, all that. We'll see everybody tomorrow night. Donk, you need a lot.